Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast that unites two best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. My name's Aaron and each week I have the pleasure of talking movies and films with my best buddy James. The pleasure is mine. It's mine, sir. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> and this week is no exception... <laughs> As we roll into episode 193 of Sorry, You're In My Seat. If it's your first time, welcome. This is it. This is it. This is it. It's microphones, two dudes and a laptop talking about movies. No holds barred talking. You're just, welcome. Just have that. <laughs> uh, but if you do like it, don't forget to like, subscribe, leave a review. You'll get a new episode for free each and every week of us mainly chewing the shit yeah, just, and just talking about movies. Whatever random BBC thought from the late 90s came into our changing rooms, EastEnders, whatever. No theme, no motive, no politics. Just get on with it. Talk about unadulterated filthy film filth now as listeners we appreciate your loyalty and we love you but get in touch with us as well like Remy did Remy listened to our Jim Carrey episode and he said the majestic mate Jim Carrey the film that you and I hadn't seen one of his favourites I loved it loved described that. it as majestic oh Claire, I see what he did there he, is who he, did it. he but, just used the same word to us <laughs> I, I loved last week's episode on Jim Carrey I thought it was a, a really good episode and you're right we uncovered a, a Jim Carrey movie that not only have we not seen we hadn't even heard of no so apparently apparently it's a good one to it's a bad one to miss because apparently it's very good it's Jim Carrey straight laced good wholesome watch it yeah find it tell us where it is so we can watch it I would like to watch that film, James. Yeah, I would also like to watch that But film. we've done all sorts of other episodes. So yes, last week was Jim Carrey, but in previous episodes, we've taken on horror, we've taken on drama, musicals, we've taken on Christmas, Halloween, every uh, event, and any excuse to talk about movies, comic books, superheroes, you name it, we've done majority of we've it. We've done it. Amy Adams, music in film, you know, video games. Spielberg. Oh. We've done too much video games, to be fair. Oh. We, we did Mortal Kombat. <laughs> yep. Twice. Because we did the new version. The new version was very good. Street Fighter, Resident Evils. I mean, that's time we ain't getting back. <laughs> that's, that's true. It's not on my list of films today, but I have just realized recently I've watched the new Resident Evil film. Which one? The Resident Evil Raccoon City. Oh, I want to see that. I'm waiting for it to come out. I no, thought it was, no, you don't. I thought it was coming straight out to Netflix and it, it was came out in the cinema. Yeah. So, um, yeah, don't. As I recall, it's... So I went with a friend who'd actually loved the comic books, uh, sorry, the video games. And that's something I didn't have that PlayStation. I got an N64. Oh, I love, so I, I love the Resident Evil So I didn't games. play that and I've never played Silent Hill. I've always wanted to play Silent yeah. Hill. And they said, weirdly afterwards, they said they crammed too much of the storyline. Like the first two games storyline happened parallel to each other. There's too much on the screen and the characters aren't anything like they are. I don't want to get into spoilers because I don't know what's a spoiler. Yeah. But apparently a bit of a mess. Well, the TV series, the Netflix exclusive TV series Which is coming, is coming out, out soon. to the cinema probably, yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> Fuck it, who knows what's going on in the world anymore. Um, yeah, that, that's cool. I, I, I really, really wanted to see it. This week uh, on this episode, we have four movies to talk about mm. because we realised we both saw one of them. Yes, we did. So and the other one we accidentally saw and one of them we purposely yeah. managed to watch. So this week we're going to talk about Antlers. We're going to talk about... Oh, sorry, I was swallowing my tongue. I apologise. Reminiscence. Uh, we're also going to talk about Metal Lords. And Choose or Die. Yeah. <laughs> now, out of all them four, guess which one we both watched? <laughs> I can't believe we both watched Choose or Die. It's, when you get to the reasons why, though, you'll understand. <laughs> you'll understand. <laughs> you'll yeah. Understand. But that's not all that's happening this week, Aaron. This week, we're also starting and trialling our new thing, which is our Grindhouse style episode. So Grindhouse Cinema used to be when you go to watch a film 
and you'll see two back-to-back often of different genres, different styles, different directors, different actors. It was kind of like a double bill movie marathon at a local cinema. We're going to do the same in the terms of our special spot. So I've prepared something to talk about. It could be a director, it could be a producer, it could be a composer, it could be an actor, it could be a certain film or a genre. It's something that I wanted to talk about, and you've done the same. I have. Now, what are the odds that we've picked the same thing? <laughs> it's going to be weird if we have, because I went for some lighthearted fun. Oh, okay. Ooh. I went for something that I'm surprised after 193 episodes we haven't done yet. I'll tell you what, when we get to the list of things I nearly did, it's going to be, it's going to be, I hope, hopefully you've done one. Or actually, do you know what we can do at future episodes? There you go, something to look forward to. Yeah. There you go. I just realised as well, last week we didn't do Jim Carrey. Last no, we week did we football, did the football episode. But we completely bypassed the fact that we created a football team last week. We did, but I think we'd get onto it eventually anyway, at some point. That's the past. Let's look forward. Let's have a look at the future. This Future. week, four films, two specialist subjects. Let's do two films, special subjects, two films. Okay. Shall I go first with Let, one of my films? I think we should save something special to the layer. So I'm going to start off. In 2021, it was a different time, mate. There was a film that came out. I know you were excited to see it. Hugh Jackman, mate. Mm. Film noir. Investigating stuff using dreams or memories, perhaps. Oh. Ooh. You, you had me at Hugh Jackman. Right, so Reminiscence 2021, directed, written, and produced by Lisa Joy. Mm. So all aspects controlled by Lisa Joy. Passion Project, starring Hugh Jackman, Rebecca Ferguson, Thandi Newton, and Cliff Curtis. And apologise, Cliff Curtis, because I only realised who you were until... Cliff Curtis is the ultimate... Who is that? Why am I seen him in? So many things, Cliff Curtis. So many things, mate. Yeah. He's, I'm sure he's... He's the, a Jonah brother, isn't he? In, uh, he is the one. Yeah. He's the one. <laughs> In Hobbs and Shaw. He's the most one. Yeah. He's the one that can fix that equipment. Don't come to me with who is this man. I'll tell you who he no, is No, I'm right just now. saying I didn't know the actor's name. And okay. I apologise, it's taken me this long. Right. Climate change has caused the sea to rise and the temperatures to soar. The world is still recovering from the Third World War. Yep. Meet Nick Bannister and his friend Watts. Nick they, Bannister. <laughs> no, it's weird, isn't it? They operate a business that allows people to relive memories. It was once used as torture, but now everyone wants a piece of this. <laughs> I don't know why, but that part of the story resonated with me. Just like the idea that in a few years, everyone will go out weekly for their drinks and waterboarding. <laughs> <laughs> One day, Nick falls in love with a walking client called May. After a storybook romance, he suddenly ups and leaves the city behind, leaving Nick to question this relationship. Ooh. He becomes obsessed with re-experiencing his old memories, looking for a clue to where she may have gone or why she left. Months pass until one fateful day when he spots May in the memory of a comatose drug suspect. The plot thickens. Shame my interest doesn't. Yeah. I'm <laughs> glad you went there. Do you know what? On paper, there's a lot to like about this. I love film noir. I love investigation films. And do you know what? The Weirdly, the city, so it's set in Miami. It's, it's part of its you know, sunk. There's water everywhere. They're like, they go out in the streets and the puddles are up to your knees. They're kind of like surviving. And that is the, that's the global warming yeah, that's um, the... foreshadowing, isn't it? Mm. They always talk about Miami will be the a city that goes. And I really liked that, but really doesn't play any part in the story. Could have been set in Mykonos. <laughs> Nothing would have changed. Um, Rebecca Ferguson, the femme fatale. Meh. All right. Hugh Jackman. She, and she's, she's notoriously, she's, very good. she's notoriously the best thing in a bad movie. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, what was that performance that she gave in Dr. Sleep? I just thought it was, was brilliant. That was Rebecca Ferguson. Wasn't yeah, it? she yeah. played uh, Red Alice. Figure the Hat. Figure the Hat. Alice the Hat. I don't know. It's been, it's been nearly two years since I've she seen had it. She had a hat. She had a hat. Um, I think Hugh Jackman doesn't get played to his strength. At no point do I remember him getting his shirt out. 
Thandie <laughs> um, Newton. Shame. <laughs> but that's not her fault. The no. role of Watts is kind of vaguely redundant. And this is going to sound like a bit of a weird cliche, Aaron, and I know that you've seen this film. I wonder if you agree with me. It's obviously come from a book, but I feel like they, and I'm going to be wary here, they've taken from the book, but I don't feel like they've taken any liberties. It's like they've transferred it from paper to screen without going, this won't work on film. The film's okay. Yeah. It's it's a shrug movement. It's yeah. a meh, missed opportunities galore. I really like the setting. Doesn't really play into the story. The motives and everything. If you can't see this film coming, though, check your eyesight because you can see it coming around the corner as soon as you buy your popcorn. It was, it was a, a twist ending so visible you could see it from another building. Yeah, you didn't need to go into a dream to you see this twist, to. did you? Yeah. I, I think I I really liked it, but I agree I agree a hundred percent with what you're saying. Fanny Newton is criminally underutilized as the um, the sidekick yeah. slash person. Don't do it. It's going to come back to bite you, you know, person. And they I, spend a long time going, oh, she never misses a shot, thinking that at some point at the end, someone's going to have to take one shot that's going to be unmissable. She's not even in the end scene. <laughs> I, 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 I also thought the the whole love interest with Rebecca Ferguson, it was it was an incredibly attractive lady, but there's no time for that that to, to blossom or nurture between her and Hugh Jackman. No, to the point where 20 minutes in, I was like, Huge happens a stalker. What I love about it is he meets her, falls in love with her instantly, she gets naked. Yeah, starts <laughs> so, invading her, her dreams. Yeah, it's just like, oh. But what's really weird is they've got this pillow talk and it's set back, uh, the story takes place then in, in flashbacks where you see uh, Hugh Jackman reliving his memories, trying to work out where she's gone, what does it all mean? But then he uses this conversational technique where she says, oh, I can't find my earrings. He's like, oh, you left them under your bed. And he's like, oh, how do you know that? I was like, oh, the first time I met you, I remembered that. And you just think, so you've, have you checked your own memory when you were looking at her memories? Also, I was seeing this bit inception-y. Yeah. Does he sometimes go back in his memory to look at other people's memories? <laughs> that is weird, isn't it? <laughs> it's so weird. But I really like the idea as well that, so the criminal element, the film noir part, it's not like Chinatown. There is an element of it is the like bigger Chinatown. picture. But I quite liked the spin on it. The spin on like, um, how do I do this sound spoilers? It's possible that someone, someone like has remembered something that, it's completely innocuous. It does a good job of red herrings where mm. you're like, oh, surely that doesn't mean anything. Oh, I wonder what this means. Um, it was okay. It's, it's long, but at the same time, it's a story that you can't, if you push this out, I'd be complaining that it's too short. So it's a film that can't win in that respect. I think the dialogue's pretty poor, but you, do you know what? It was nice to see something a bit different. I do find it weird that the technology exists that we can go into people's memories, but we can't get some sandbags. <laughs> you know, we just like do anything like that. But again, another aspect I love is that the because of the temperatures due to global warming, is that the night cycles are separated. So yeah. you do all your work during the night and during the days you're a madman. Mm. And I've really liked that. And there are some really great scenes. And there's this really weird bit underwater where I'm fairly certain the ghost saves him, but I don't get into it. Yeah, that, yeah, <laughs> so, I, I lost it by that point. Yeah. But you're right, I 100% agree. I think if anyone's a first-time listener, I mean, that's worth a five-star review already, James. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Straight off the bat, I 100% agree with what you're saying about reminiscence. The, 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 I'm not going to be premise, so articulate later. <laughs> <laughs> on paper, the premise, everything set up for a home run. And the, we've, this is going to be now the third week that I talk about this. Oh, no. In that sometimes as a viewer and as, an, as a film fan, you go into a movie with such high expectations on, on a person's previous work yeah. that when they do something slightly different or go off on it. So we're talking about uh, Guillermo del Toro last week with um, 
Nightmare Alley. We did uh, Jim Carrey talking about when he takes on more of a dramatic role and sometimes it doesn't necessarily pay off, but good because he's trying something different or he's showing us a different string to his bow and that's what creativity and art is all about. This to me was the same. It's like reminiscence on, on on, on the trailer and on paper I couldn't be more invested in this movie. It has all the people I love in it and mm. an idea that I think is really original and they could go in so many places with it. But the problem with that is when you open that box up, there is so many what ifs and why, yeah. you know, why, are we, why are you doing that? And, and wouldn't you just do this? And that kind of takes you out of the movie a little bit. It's when it gives audience members the freedom to say, you have to go with this. You have to go with it. This is real technology and this happens and, and this is possible. As an audience member, I'm going, well, if that's possible, then just do that and then we'll all save an hour and a half. One of the most bullshit endings I've seen in a while as well. Bad, Mainly bad the ending. ending. Yeah. Bad ending. Um, but you know what? It was free to watch. I didn't spend any money. Well, my subscription to Sky. And your electricity. That, <laughs> yeah, electricity. that bill's gone up, James. <laughs> well, actually, fuck it. It's, don't, don't, do not watch. Hugh Chapman knows me. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's what I did this week. Oh, also, just a little side note, Aaron, before you start. Mm. It's been Easter. Did you get lots of eggs? Did you have fun? Uh, I did. My little one got quite a few eggs. Oh, that's good. Right. So I'm just saying here that do you think this is acceptable? I ate half of my egg. My egg. Yeah. I ate half of it. I like Esther. She's a good egg. Let me see what I've done there. Yeah, yeah. She's a good egg. Came back today from work, mate. Half, so technically a quarter, but I'm calling it half my remaining egg. Half my remaining egg, gone. No. No replacement in place. That's not right, is there? Some sort of substitution now must be in order. Yeah, like substituting your girlfriend for one that doesn't steal your fucking egg. Thank you very much. Thank you. I just wanted some confirmation in that. Unbelievable. I think the only fairness now is like, I think it shows you at least eight eggs in return. Yeah, exactly. And good luck getting them. Well, actually, yeah. that was a good time to get them. Chocolate <laughs> eggs, that is. Right. Metal Lords 2022, now available on Netflix. You may hover over this movie on Netflix, and it is three young uh, teenagers sat at a school dinner table, one of them donning. The Kiss style, black and white, face paint makeup is beloved by heavy metal music lovers globally. This film, straight away hovering over it, I was like, bit of me. Bit of you, sir. Bit of me. Because I am a self-confessed metalhead, grew up, this is me at high school. You know, you had your jocks, you had your, your nerds, you had all those kind of subcategories of people. I was that guy with the music guys. So, you know, we cool. had the longer hair, we played the instruments. You know, we, we were going to take on the world with music and our music was great and everyone else's music sucked because it was all manufactured pop bullshit. You didn't go to the discos because they played pop and you wanted to rock out, Exactly. Mate. Or we yeah. went to sneer at those that enjoyed yeah. that kind of music because they didn't write it themselves. Yeah, sicko. Take that, Beyonce, with your 20 writers to write your album yeah, and then you, you won the best Grammy. Yeah, and your 2.7 billion God. net worth. What yeah. do you know, eh? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Metal Lords. Well, do you know what? Quickly, you know Beyonce. Yeah. Have you seen that Not tweet? Personally. <laughs> He's in that tweet where it's like, I can't remember who said it. It was like, like a business. They sell these. They're like, you've got the same amount of hours in a day as Beyonce. And yeah. my response was, yeah, but I don't have $2.8 billion. Like, what's the yeah. point in that? Fuck off. You have the, yeah, I, I don't remember the lady's name. You have the same amount of hours in a day as, as Beyonce. Use them like Beyonce does. Yeah, but okay. So let's, let's go. This is the second most idiotic thing I've ever heard. Next to Idris Elba saying, after yeah. lockdown, we should all spend a bit of time yeah. in our house. <laughs> yes, Idris. Because you don't live in a high-rise flat with three kids that are screaming. You, you live in a fucking mansion with a swimming pool and a gym. I was going to say, you, you've got a gym. You've got your own home theater. You're Idris fucking Elba. Yeah. You could literally go across the neighbours and go, I'm buying your house. Because <laughs> I'm Idris fucking Elba. Like, I was in cats. Where is this? Like, yes, we all do have the same amount of hours in a day as Beyonce. But you might be a carer for a sick relative or a exactly. mum. You might have to take your little brother and sister to school. You might have to work two jobs because you live in a shitty area. Don't tell me I have the same fucking hours as Beyonce. Mate, honestly, it's going to grab my gears if we go down that road. I'm sorry. 
A metalhead. You're a metalhead. <sighs> oh, metalhead. There we go. I knew, I knew, I said, don't bring up Beyonce. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, mate. Before we start, what did I say? We say every week, you say, don't bring no, up Beyonce. Yeah. I think I brought it up. <laughs> Metal Lords, directed by uh, Peter Soller and written by D.B. Vice, who is the, one of the uh, co- main writers on Game of Thrones. Stars Jaden Martell, Isis Hem- Hen- Hensworth, and Adrian Greensmith. So there are three main characters. This is a coming-of-age comedy team drama. Films such as Ladybird, Super 8, Booksmart, Perks of Being a Wallflower have been known to push the genre with fresh ideas, stories, and characters, making it hard to believe that Jason Biggs wants to put his penis in a pie. It's weird, isn't it? It is weird. <laughs> Metal Lords continues to add to this, except this film uh, is uh, canvassed with martial lamps, black nail polish, and Metallica t-shirts. If a film is to focus on the most awkward years of your life, then make it metal-infused and look at the... Um, a, a love letter to what m- many heavy metal fans would tip as their their solace, their their mm. their, their their driving force, their passion, yeah. the thing that unites them, the thing that makes them feel special, the thing that gives them drive and focus, it wakes them up, and and it's also the, the reason why I really I really championed this movie when I heard this was coming out. I really really championed this movie. It was coming of age film set and focused around those that love metal music because I think metal characters. Or the you know the long hair kind of Metallica t-shirt misfit t-shirt wearing characters are always synonymous with the villain or the bully or the guy that the girl is dating that you want to date. Mm. You know, look at Sid in Toy Story. Yeah, it's always the, the the villain. You know, or the or the youth who's comes from a broken family has to also be into metal music. And I think that's a real Super unfair- Phil always listens to metal music. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that's a real unfair um, stereotype. And, and don't get me wrong, there are plenty of unfair stereotypes. So yes. I'm, not, I'm not saying this is the one. It's just one that is always depicted. And that there are others, obviously. But this film is more of a love letter to it. And it's a film that gets it right. So the plot is predictable. The character arcs are absolutely obvious. And- um, the losers are always going to triumph over adversity. This one, instead of ending at the prom, ends at a battle of the bands. It's a film that we've seen before in School of Rock, even in Bill and Ted. Mm. You know, Battle of the Bands is the summation, the place where we're going to get to. It's where our main event's going to happen. It's where people are going to learn more about themselves with things that were right in front of them all along. Film focused on focuses on a character called Hunter, who's this talented um, metal guitarist enthusiast. You know, he's the kind of guy that talks about. Um, you know, metal players being gods, icons, you know, he has the posters all over his rooms. He meets Kevin, a lonely, quiet uh, drummer in the mar- uh, marching drummer in the school band and enlists him to help him create the band's school fucker. Yes. yes. In the hope that they win a battle of the bands, leave school hell bent on becoming gods in the world of music. Kevin meets Emily, a classically trained musician. And now he has to convince Kev, um, Hunter, sorry, that the three should join forces. So now you get the, the, uh, the conflict of when your friend gets a girlfriend, and he wants the girlfriend to be in the band. Anyway, as a hard rock, heavy guitar metal lover, I thought the film was excellent. Um, it's made even cooler by some cameos from metal gods and, um, you know, if you're into that style of music, there's a couple of characters in it. You're like, oh my God, there's Kurt Hammett from Metallica yeah. or, or, you know, and uh, it is one so of the films. It rewards like, it rewards the audience. Yeah. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, these cameras are obvious because it's the people that can't act when they're in the film. Yeah. That's the, that they're, they're the musicians. Um, but I think it was made all the more better by the fact that 
it, it, it goes down the road of being formulate and, and obvious and it doesn't try to deviate from that. At no point in this movie did I think it was trying to be like original or out there or anything like that. I, I found that the storyline and actually the direction was secondary to so many nods and um, and and respect to that style of music. There is this brilliant scene in Hunter's basement, which is kitted out. And Hunter, by the way, doesn't come from, he comes from a broken family, divorced uh, parents, but he's loaded. You know, he buys yeah. like a seven grand drum kit when he wants. You know, uh, his, his attic is every nerd's wet dream. Sorry, his basement, sorry. It's every nerd's wet dream. And the fact that he's got these amps and these power stacks and every guitar pedal and the latest equipment and everything that you wish when you was learning how to play music you had. Mm, and <laughs> there is just these brilliant scenes where he's talking so belovingly about metal and the other characters just do not get what he's talking about. Mm. And um, there's this bit where he goes, oh, I found, um, where Kevin's like, oh, I found this girl who, who's going to join. And, and he, he, he goes, we're not having a girl in the band that's gay. And then it just goes to all these posters of all these idols he has shirtless. in leather, yeah. shirtless, you know, just like fucking the devil and all this kind of stuff. And then it comes back to him and he doesn't break character. He's like, we're not having a girl in the band. It's just, it's one of them. It doesn't poke fun at the genre. It doesn't poke fun at the people that love that. It actually takes them on that ride and journey and shows them it. There's a bit where he squares up to the bully and instead of punching him, he just like wet willies him and runs away. And it's like, he's so brilliantly... Relatable. childish yeah. and relatable and, and honest to it and at the end you know it does they don't have to lose win or draw the battle of the bands they make up with their enemies before and actually it's a celebration at the end of creativity and music it has a very satisfactory ending that being said you're not going to go into this movie thinking that was the best film since bill and ted mm. you're not going to go into this movie thinking it's school of rock it doesn't compare to those but it is a very pleasant hour 40 movie that if you're into metal if you're into heavy uh, music you know, if you was in a school band, anything like that, I think you'll watch this and think instantly that it's relatable. Do you know what it sounds like to me? Did you ever see the film Fanboys? It's on Amazon yeah, right yeah. now where the four guys want to go see, one of them's dying and so they all make a pact to go see Break Into Skywalker Ranch and yeah. watch. That's a great film. That took like Star Wars fandom kind of seriously before. But it's written with passion and love and you, it's got like the same type of vibe. It sounds really cool. I, I'm from quite interesting now. I want to check that out and it is, does have layers to it there's, so there's a bit where um, what the Kevin the drummer is learning how to play and so he gives him this mixtape and that was infamous like if you're into music as a kid certainly you know creating a mixtape was a huge thing mm. you know like learning about uh, different songs you know uh, different kind of styles of music and the first song on there that he has to learn on drums is War Pigs by Black Sabbath, which a lot of people would say was the birth of that dark doom and metal yeah. sound. You know, so it has this kind of like nice parallel to what I think a lot of metalheads would be like, yes, that is the song that you stole. You wouldn't go straight in with Master of Puppets or Enter Sandman or anything like that. You would go back to where it started and where this character started in their journey. And it has those layers into it as well about getting lost in the subgenres, you know. So there's metal, but there's death metal, there's black metal, there's goth metal, there's all these other, you know, what's cool and what you know, what are you supposed to be into? And, you know, is it the fact that you just go down that rabbit hole of getting into the darker, darker, darker stuff, or or is it staying true and saying, actually, I like this stuff? I, I thought it was really, really, really good. I, I I don't it's not gonna win any awards. I don't think it's gonna tick anyone's top ten. But, but I think fun. to the right people, it's a home run. Well, that's very nice. And that is called Metalheads and it's on Netflix. Metal Lords, yeah. Metal Lords, sorry. Yeah. And I, for all week, I've wanted to call it Lords of Metal. I think I even have called it Lords of Metal on Twitter. I've like, I've watched Lords of Metal. It's Metal Lords. Metal Lords. Great, uh, great uh, d uh, acting as well. I know one of the kids in it, the, the guy who plays Kevin, uh, the Jaden was from It. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, certainly recognised him from that. So I said, oh, yeah, like I know who he is. You know, I know mean, yeah. <laughs> the film here. Yeah. <laughs> so I assume it was one of the kids from it. So there you go. He's the one who had to overcome the stutter of that. Yeah. Who grows up to be um, Scottish uh, James oh, McAvoy. McAvoy. Lucky for worst, worst people to grow up into, <laughs> isn't there? Like me. <laughs> um, right. Feature. We're going to do our feature time. Our features. So you've picked something that you're going to bring to the table. Yes. It's your little spot. Yes. To, it could be something you love or it could be something you loathe. Okay. And it's your turn to take over. And hopefully I know something about it to engage in conversation. You will, because it's something that you and I have <gasps> joked about off air. I'm going to set a scene. I'm going to set a scenario for you. Yeah. Close your eyes. Oh. Imagine. I'm not again, James. Good old Uncle Joe. He was quite the character. And you were his favourite niece slash nephew. Remember all those games of catch in the park? What great times. We were great. But oh no, Joe died in a shootout with police. But while the memory of his crimes will live on in his victims' minds forever, the money he left you in his will will not. £200,000. Like any respective businesswoman slash man, you've decided to put it towards property. I've got over 20 movie locations here, and you are going to tell me which city would be the best place for a first-time buyer, and which city would you like to develop in? Okay. So, let me start off. Let me sell you the scene. Pandora from the film Avatar. Easy access to lots and lots of unobtainium. Downside, may have to deal with very angry in the... <laughs> indigenous people. Indigenous people, but then I realise, no, they're not the arseholes. It's just the man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're all right. Leave them. Pandora, what did you... Giovanni Rabisi, wasn't it? It was Giovanni Rabisi. But what I, what I really, what's going to go against you building a house or selling a house here is... I was writing this down and fairly certain there's just islands in the sky, gravity, because you don't have any of these powers, mate. Mm. You're just you. So how are you going to deal with that? Is there somewhere you're likely to invest in? So so your feature yes, is, where is I have you... 200 grand yes. to invest in property. Yes. And you're going to take us on a, on a, on a tour on a tour of some of the best locations in film. I said some locations. <laughs> <laughs> some of the best locations <laughs> in film. And I have to, do I have to put it all in one pot? No, it's, it's up to you. I think... I think Sprinkle be, a little bit here, a bit there. Because some of the places that are going to come up. So I think Pandora's going to be quite cheap because there's a military war going on. Yeah, but it's full of unatanium. Until two or three. So you could get your money back quite quickly. How much did you lose it watching that movie when he said the word unatanium? I do what the first time. It was that moment where you go, what did he say? Yeah. <laughs> Just like, I must have imagined it. Mm. I must have imagined it. And then the second time you go, no, he definitely said yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely said it. And With then, a straight face. And then when he gives a speech about how important it is and it's under the... I find it ironic that it's under the one tree that's sacred. Yeah. It's like they've got an entire fucking planet, but they're like, no, we've got to pull up this one tree. Have you heard about mining? It's <laughs> all almost like this film was a metaphor <laughs> and a message. Yes. A bit cram. Anyway, are you feeling about Pandora? Pandora is not a place I would want to invest my money, James. It's. I don't think I'm going to get... It's not a renter's market. It's not a renter's market. I also don't think I'm going to get people willing to commute from there to their day jobs. Um, unless a little blue person is looking for a house, I think I'm out. <laughs> Joe, that would be your best bet. <laughs> would be would be like instead of living in shit, have a toilet. <laughs> okay, well, when the world's gone to pot, you need a house that's a bit warm. True. Maybe you're looking for something communal. Oh. If I took you to the world of the Matrix, would you consider buying a place in Zion? All the plop you can eat. <laughs> I'll be honest, when I wrote this down, not a fucking chance in hell. One, because it's cramped, and I imagine it fucking stinks. <laughs> Just think of it. It's enclosed near the centre of the earth. No matter how, 200 grand will get you a, 
would get you the biggest shithole. <laughs> but at the same time, that smell, mate, is going to be everywhere. Now, where are we talking in the timeline of The Matrix? Are we talking... Like early on when... We're talking in the first film. Oh, God. Because I don't want a second and third and whatever. And I've just, Again, just... it's a hard sell because let's say I invested it all. I went I went balls deep and I put mm. all of it into property in yeah. Zion. Again, what are they going to trade me for... Blot. For, <laughs> for, for rent because... The woman in the red dress, mate. Hessian t-shirt. <laughs> Sandals. The blue pill. A shaved you, head. You'd just be like, the Get blue me pill. Out. <laughs> put me back in the matrix. Put me the fuck back in. All right. Okay. And also they, they can't be, they're like Buddhas, aren't they? In this, they, yeah. they, they're not attached to um, materialistic things because they don't have them. Because well, they, they were, you would just go back in the matrix. That's a, that's a problem that might come up later, actually. You know, yeah. Yeah, you've got a good point. Yeah. All right, then. I, I can feel you're not. I two can, for two, mate. I'm not I can see you're not feeling that, but I think it's time to. The problem with this next location, it's hard to get to. You have okay. it's the second star to the right, and you have to pretty much go straight till morning. It's uh, Neverland from Peter Pan. Oh, mate, now you're talking my language. Yeah. My problem is I would not buy a property here because I fucking hate kids. <laughs> Can you imagine? You just get up in the morning and it's a prick. Yeah. It's just like, also, Peter Pan, no bad. And I, even as a kid, I've always hated Peter Pan. You've got a shadow, use it. <laughs> you I, I can never off. remember the... I can never remember what the story is with Peter Pan. Doesn't he guide dead children? That's the thing. That's supposed to be the thing, yeah. But then he... It, there's actually, like, research. Because that's they why say, they never grow old, just because yeah, they're all dead. they're lost boys, and he keeps them, like... He keeps them because he's befriended them. Yeah. So he's like, you can live here in poetry, and that's, like, Captain... Or it's Captain Hook is the ferryman, and Peter Pan's trying to save them from heaven and hell and judgment and that type of thing. Or it's just some Well, there's shit. two things that are worrying me about my investment in this property. Three things. Yep. Rogue theories. Yep. Tinkerbell's an arsehole. We yep. never mentioned that enough. One <laughs> arsehole. And I'm just talking about Julia Roberts. <laughs> yeah. Rogue shadows. Mm-hmm. And also, let's say, let's say you put attention to detail in your decor. Mm-hmm. Maybe you put down, you know, a, a goose down pillow or two. Yeah, made it really homely. Mm. Then a little kid comes in with the power of imagination. It's like pink walls and candy floss. <laughs> you fucking and you're like, no, you mug. <laughs> <laughs> just that's just, a Navy Seal wall. Funny <laughs> 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 idea. How much money I done down here? Yeah. Right, I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Somewhere which genuinely would I find attractive. Now I know it's a holiday town, so you, you're gonna have to be paying, and it might have to be second place holiday or place away, mate. But. Let's go to the famous town of the local football team, the Amity Island Sharks. Oh yeah. And let's see, let's see this holiday town. Granted, it's got a problem with killer sharks. Only if you go in the water though. Only if you go in that's my point. You never see it take down a fucking ferry. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, if they remade it now and it took down PO ferry, the yeah. fucking child be a hero. No. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> that's the CEO job, isn't it? <laughs> um Amity Hill, Amity, sorry, Amity, Amity Island. Yeah. Does it? From Jaws. From Jaws. Yeah, see, my whole big gripe about that was that, that like, just don't it's go the in. shark's territory. Yeah. Just the shark owns the water. Man doesn't own water. If he did, we'd have gills. It's funny you should mention that if I can't. But Pleasant Island. Pleasant Island. White picket fences. You know the sheriff. You know I was going to say, the sheriff's got, a, you know the sheriff's come from a big town as well, so we've got experience. Yeah. yeah. I think, on land where I plan to be. Yes. A, quite a pleasant place to invest. And also, if it's during like Jaws 4, the Jaws follows the Bradys away. If memory serves as well, the beach was pretty clean. The beach was clean. 
the, the, the islanders look friendly. My worry is that 200K doesn't get me enough property. Ooh. It's not enough of a damn payment for me to be able to recoup that investment. See, that's really good. My only problem as well is, is the town is full of... Um, Right, so there is a fish killing them. So mm. their ultimate, their, their plan is to not kill it, is to blow the water off with dynamite. That worries me. Logical. <laughs> because, because it's That's like- man's thinking. There's there's a stump there that he's digging up. Flamethrower. <laughs> Just, there seems to be like a missing step in all their plans. No, everything could be solved with dynamite, James. Fair enough. Right, so you mentioned it earlier. I've got a property for you. It's nice. Beachfront, well, waterfront. Okay. You know, communal kind of, but- Warning may contain traces of Kevin Costner. How about Atoll, the floating sea from what? <laughs> Tetanus Island? <laughs> Whatever it's called. Because it is, it is rusty. He is rusty. So it's actually a really good point. It's just like, are you up to date with your yeah. vaccinations now? Probably don't go here. Probably, Probably risk the drowning, to be honest. Yeah. If you cut yourself, just chop off the limb. Or just grow gills. Wait till everyone else dies. Free real estate. Mm. Just, I never understood why he's the villain as well. I, ne- I still, to this day, I don't understand. It's like, gills, yeah. kill him. Or, outcast. You freak. Or, you can help us because, yeah. because the world's war. Help yeah. us out. <laughs> so that is, that is weird. I imagine Kevin Costner. I, I, I would love to be in the pitching room or the phone call it's like, room. It's like, you've got gills. Yeah. It's like, because would you open with that? Or would you save that for the big thing at the end? I, I, so I tried to, I tried to like bring, drag him in and be like, you throw a kid in the water to drown. And it's like, oh, I like this. Yeah. And you go, gills. <laughs> I, I, I'd give it all. I'd be like, we've already got Dustin Hoffman. <gasps> Floating city, loads of rust. Soil is a currency. People are land starved. The sea, blazing sun. You're going around in this like Mad Max contraption, but on water. Oh my God, it sounds so good. How much You're wearing it? leather. You're oh. going to get paid a shit ton. Oh and God. you can put your own money into it if you want, Kev. Oh, what? You know, it's all for you. You get to wear an earring. Oh my God, I love this. There's no downside about Kev, this whatsoever. let me pull you back. Let me reel oh, you, oh, in. Well, I'm I'm in. I'm you in. I'm pulling you in. Pulling you in. Gill sign. <laughs> just. <laughs> they just, they, yes. You're right. They led with gills. <laughs> But no. I like it when he reveals his gill as well, quite <laughs> seductively, because the, the film, less is more. They could He could have just said, I've got gills, where? Well, I'm not showing you. And that would have been enough, because we don't need to see him. But, but, I like but we the, do see him. But I like the fact that even the character knows that if he says he has gills, no one will believe him, because it's a stupid thing to say. So he goes, got gills. And he's like, yeah. And he yeah. shows the gills. And they're like, oh my God, you've got gills. <laughs> Why didn't you say? <laughs> I didn't take you seriously before. Weird man. Yeah. I, also, I also lay eggs. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So far you're not feeling that. So I'm going to take you to the opposite, somewhere dusty. I'm going to take you to a spaceport where you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. I'm already here, mate. Mos Eisley, Star Wars? Yes, yeah. Oh uh, let me invest my credits. I'm there. You're there. I mean, as iconic locations go, it's pretty iconic. But what really pissed me off about Mos Eisley is leave it the fuck alone, George Lucas. Like, it was perfect in the original. Stop adding CGI sneezes. Just fuck off. Yeah, and this is the thing, isn't it? All of the Mos Eisley, Tatooine, all the desert planets are so overly used because there's so much is shot in LA mm. or on the outskirts that it's easy to film in sand and on location. Don't see a lot of Hoff anymore. No. No, no actor don't. wants to go knee-deep in snow. No, that's a good point, actually. No one wants to quite open a tauntaun to keep warm. Well, I don't know. I might. Probably. For fun. Shits and giggles. You could do a tour. You could be like, you could like get lost in the snow, cut open a living animal. Can you imagine, like, because obviously in that movie, like Han and that go and save Luke from mm. freezing. Can you imagine if they didn't and he just showed up with the skin of a tauntaun 
And he was just like, you're right, Luke. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Up too much? No, not really. No, nah, I'm fine. Just uh, in case myself in a torn torn. <laughs> and I thought they were bad on the outside. Oh, God. Um, this one I had to change because I knew this would have been your absolute pick straight away. So I had to move it away. But I didn't Evil layer to... in a volcano. No. Oh. It originally was the Shire, Hobbiton, oh. which I know that you fucking love to live in. Mm. But then I thought, you know what? It's the doors. It's going to be an easy answer. You'd, you'd have it first time buying an investment. You'd buy all of it and let them all live there for free. So then I went Mordor. I'm like, no, that's too far away. Uh-huh. What's right in the middle? Give me some middle ground. I went Rohan from Lord of the Rings. Now, the reason I think that it's great, but it's also kind of nothing's happening. Mm. Not much happening. And also, them eagles, mate, must do massive shit. So I'm just saying that living in the middle of nowhere, you are prime territory for an eagle to <laughs> that would That kills villages. They must. Have you seen the size of them? You think it's bad when they do it on your car? Now times that by 20. Oh, no. Luckily, I don't think there's many cars in Rowan. That's, that's a good point, but it would also be like, you know, you. I feel like it would just be full of people moaning. I just think they'd be unhappy people. Just like, yeah. yeah. Who was you? Where was you? Where was you at my dad's resort? Yeah. <laughs> where was and you? And you're like, I was there. Oh, was you? Yeah. Where was you? Yeah. Was you? In body, not in spirit. Was you? <laughs> Um, how about I open it up then? Somewhere big, somewhere like Maine from the Stephen King universe. You'd be fucking mental. Uh, maybe, I, maybe I'm here, mate, already. <laughs> Just think, you know, there's so much to do. And so be killed much, by it. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I'm worried with sharks and I, like in the water around an island, mm. I'm definitely probably worried about living in Maine, Derry, or any of those kind of suburbs that Stephen King writes about. Yeah, that's a good point. Also, quite expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know somewhere that probably, right, now you've got to remember that you, when you consider this one, don't jump straight into it, because you will be a muggle. Oh. Hogsmeade from Harry Potter. Get yourself oh. a little village. You could see them, but you'd be an outcast, and they'd laugh at you, mate. you go, you're the muggle. <laughs> I don't know, though, because I'm still in that world somewhere. Yeah, it's true. But you Hogsmeade are, was the, down the road, wasn't it? From, it was the down the road, yeah, because oh, oh, it'd be weird if you bought a room in the school. <laughs> Just be well, like, it's why would that be weird, James? <laughs> it's only weird if you make it weird. No, because you're a muggle. What about if I got like Hagrid's shack? <laughs> no, because where would Hagrid live? <laughs> That's the only interesting thing about Hagrid's thought. It's how does he physically get in and out of that door? <laughs> it's just, every time I watch it, and the answer is always the same. Magic. Magic. There you go. Um, well, if I can't interest you in Maine, you're probably not going to take Crystal Lake. Cheap housing, high cleaning costs. Yeah. Yeah, but again, Crystal Lake... Stay away from the lake. Don't have sex. That's don't. pretty much my life, mate. So I think the problem with, with Crystal Lake is, like after the second movie, really, they all deserve it. <laughs> what, Do you know I, what, I mean? what I love about the Friday the Thirteenth is something that go back a few years when we each took we took yeah. one on. It's Friday the Thirty Three takes over the next day, so it's Saturday the Fourteenth, and it's even it's even the best thing about that is. There's been a massacre. Let's go get pissed yeah. in the same lake. Fucking idiots. It's like it's like the person that licks batteries and then has to go to A&E. You're like, well, you can't add it coming. You deserve this. You know, you went to Crystal Lake, you thought you were going to camp in, you got killed. It's on you, really. Hmm. Right. I've, okay. So I'm going to take you somewhere completely different now. I think you want something higher up, something grand. I know a grand city, mate. In fact, it doesn't even have a name. They just call it the capital. Hunger Games, the capital. So if you live here, mate, I don't one, I don't think you can afford it. 
I think this is going to be... 200k is not going to get you much. That's not going to get you much. And also, that's not even taking into account the arsehole things you have to do to your hair. The fact that you have to watch like 12 of us kill each other every year. I mean, to me... Do I have to? Big Brother's on telly. Doesn't mean I have to watch it. Well, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's your house. Maybe I can be naive to it. Yeah. Do it then. Be naive to it. Maybe I'll go to the capital, James. You, you, you could have Hagrid's hut in the capital. Maybe. Maybe I'll just worship like President Snow. Fair enough. Maybe that's who I am. Maybe that's not for you then. Maybe you want somewhere warm. Maybe you want... I do like sun. Well, that's good. Maybe there's one thing though about living in Santa Clara that you could never stomach. And it's all the damn vampires. Santa Clara. From the Lost Boys. Murder capital of the East Coast. Exactly. Cheap. (laughs) (laughs) I get a lot for my money. And also, Keith Sutherland's career is over. So (laughs) you just probably go there now. It's fine. Do you think think they could do Lost Boys 2 with a minute? I know they've done a Lost Boys 2, but like a Keith Sutherland. I want one where, I don't know, it wouldn't make any sense. Yeah. But I would watch it. They'd be really cool if they turn it into like an indie like drama follower where Michael's like, was it all in my head? Well, that'd be cool. You know, and he's actually he's actually in like a hospital mm. because he, he's like, no, there were vampires and they were like, they weren't. Like people just invaded your house and you fucking massacred them. You blacked out, Michael. 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 Is it the single most use of the word Michael in the movie? Yes, it probably yes, is. Yes, it is, yeah. Honestly, there's a, I'm going to tell you now, there's a film called Michael with John Travolta. They don't even say Michael's watching it. And- he is, he's an angel. <laughs> I know we've both seen it. We've both lost. Yes, we have because he has a mullet in it, and I love that movie. That's a proper two a uh, sorry two p.m. ITV movie when I was growing up. I can't remember what it's called, but what's the one? Oh no, I can't remember. Phenomenon. I quite liked that up until the bit where he loses power and gets it back again. Couldn't give a toss. Why did he lose it? I'm not interested. No. Where he finds a kid in a cornfield by I don't know telekinesing corn. Can happen. <laughs> right. We've talked about this many times before. There's got to be there's got to be a good thing about living in Gotham. <laughs> we don't know what it is. <laughs> it's got to be. It's cheap. Mm. It's definitely cheap. The only problem is you're probably going to get ruined. Yeah. Although there's there's a lucrative business to be had in Gotham. Ooh. Selling white paint because apparently no one has any. Yes. Because everything is very dark. That's true. Blue. If you worked in heating and plumbing and you could fix all them damn steam drains <laughs> that are just steaming everywhere. <laughs> that would be the best one. You could also apply this to my next one, Mega City One from Just Dread. It's one place I would never want to live. We talked about this the other day about how the Dread movie brilliantly makes you think, fuck, I never want to live where yeah. in Mega City One. Basically from a building, <laughs> just a building, let alone what's going on outside of that building. Right. So I'm gonna go completely different now. You know, you Lilliput from Governor's Travels. Now Ooh. a problem here is is the builders are tiny and there's a good chance every time you wake up in the morning, you'll kill thousands of them. But, it's a risk I'm willing to take. But I'm going to say you will be good views. You will be the big deal. You will Literally. be. You will be the biggest deal. Christmas Town from the Nightmare Before Christmas. Now I know you're instantly going to say yes. It's going to sound awesome. You celebrate Christmas every day, oh. every day. And I think if you celebrate something that often, it, it loses its magic. But also, how I many times you had cake? Yeah, but would okay, you have then. cake every day? No. No, oh, you, and you wouldn't either. So it was, all right then. Well, how would you don't say things if like that. You can't take that back. If I, had, if I had a block of cheese in front of you now and you yeah. took a slither. Yeah. Oh, actually, I'm yeah. asking the wrong person. I've yeah. seen, I've seen go you. Go on, James, go down that street. <laughs> we'll see where that leads you. Hey, <laughs> diabetes. <laughs> all right then, what about Sea Haven Island? The place where the Truman Show is. is, is now am I in the uh, You show? are the Truman, but you are, now here's the question. If you bought, if you bought a house there, presumably you'd know that you could never leave. Yeah, but am I Truman like 
AI becoming self-aware? Have I? Do I know the show is happening? Mm. You get a lot of fun with that. You could, no, you can't then. So I'm just oblivious to it. And I'm just yeah. not going. But you get old colonial houses. Oh, and this this is another thing. Yeah, there's cameras in the bathroom. There is cameras in the bathroom. I'm not about that. <laughs> right now, this one genuinely, I've been saving it till near the end because I've got a theory about this. Hill Valley from Back to the Future, I think, would be the worst place because you decorated your front room but mine looks like has gone back and kissed his mum and now you live in a fucking shithole where your former headmaster shoots at you with a shotgun and that would fucking you go to bed and your house would be worth a million and you'd come back and you wouldn't even own the house it's just like it depends on what this arsehole has decided to do this movie yeah he's, the butterfly effect really fucking goes big <laughs> doesn't it with it goes future. Um, and towards the end I've got just a few here Emerald City and we'll see. From Wizard of Oz, I yeah. imagine. I'm so pretentious though. Could you live there? Probably not. Exactly. Bedrock, the Flintstones. I would never want to Dusty. Exist. Dusty and horrible. Um, Asgard? Asgard's a good one. Am I going to get a lot for 200k though? No, I don't think you are. But also at the same time, you're just you and you're with gods. Like they would- I'm good with that. Oh, fine. with that. Isla um, Nublar. Oh, Jurassic Park. This is the first place that came in my head. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I'm near the water. Do you know what you? Uh, to be fair, with these, when you've got killer dinosaurs over, you can pick where you are. Because I, I think <laughs> I prefer my odds against the T Rex on sand. I like that. That's really good. Oh, if you want, if you want to go down that route, though, I've got you a nice little apartment in Dino Hatton. Oh, no, there's no sand there. <laughs> um, and then uh, one of the worst places I think you could ever leave, but I don't know how money works in there. Gilead from Hadley's Hill. Would you buy a place in Gilead? I do not think I'd buy in Gilead. I thought it was going to come with a little chateau in Eternia from um, He-Man. That's what I sh- should have done. I forgot. With a little secret he- passageway right to the throne room. Yeah, He-Man was originally on the list. I've, well, it was, I meant to put it on the list when I thought of the idea. That's irritating. I think out of all those that you've, that you've mentioned, if I can afford it, even a one bedroom apartment in Asgard, I'm yeah. probably going there. A lot yes. of grapes and togas. Yeah, that's I'm true. I'm all about that life. Rainbow roads. I imagine that it's also kind of like universal healthcare and that type of thing. Like, you, you, I can't imagine the person who cleans the toilets. I don't imagine there's anyone. I reckon magic no. and shit. They just do that. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's that. Or mythical creature that actually really likes doing it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's like, what's your job? I eat the grapes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, what do you do for currency? He's like, no, you don't. Say, I eat the grapes. Every now and again, I walk down the Rainbow Bridge, I go talk to Idris Elba. He's spouting some shit it's just, it's just <laughs> like about when he was in Cats it's just like oh I could have we should all lock ourselves away like, shut up Idrisola not everyone's got a rainbow bridge <laughs> and a big swords <laughs> shut up um, yeah get attacked every now and again but you know God's on our side so mm. I think I'm all about Does that destroy itself though then you have to live in a like a quaint Scottish town well also Asgard wasn't a place it was the people <laughs> so, and I don't want to buy a house so in a person do you want to live inside someone <laughs> just your little legs poking <laughs> Isn't this like that movie? Yeah. Which what was that movie with, um, with Matt Damon? No. Oh, no. okay. We, no, went, we um, went different ways there. The, the one with the little ship inside the person. Oh, Inner Space. Inner Space. I still, I'm still, I'm still hoping Inner Space. I don't, I don't want break. Dennis Quaid in me at any point. <laughs> so I'm going to have to go with then. Main's too scary. Yeah. It's not going to be nothing good there. I mean, I'm going to go, I'm going to go uh, Shark Island in, in Jaws. Yeah. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm going to go there. Picturesque, mate. Pleasant. Picturesque. I can see myself just, you know, picking up my little, my paper every day. I genuinely can't think of anywhere worse than Zion, maybe Neverland, because just the idea of idiot children just irritates me. Yeah, but then I, I suppose, I don't know, the kids, you've only got to kick them once, haven't you? Yeah, I, I reckon I might. Do you know what, safe, 
Sea Haven, for me, generally, I was like, I could get a decent house there. And I don't care that everyone's faking it. And, you know, if, if the world wants to watch me poo, then that's weird. But I'm okay with it. And that <laughs> so, was James's feature. That was James's feature. The whole point of this uh, episode was James to bring something to the table and I bring something to the table, which the likelihood of them being to, the same was so extraordinary impossible. It, it could only line up to a truly original Sorry in My Seat episode. And that is exactly what we're going to get here because what was your other choice that you mentioned? John Williams, because if we're talking to Esther, we're talking about John Williams, is he the best? And I was going to have like the contenders. Who would your contenders be? Probably Hans Zimmer and Danny Elfman, but there's the big ones. And then obviously I know that the Icelandic composer, whose name we always butcher, she's yeah. probably the next John Williams because everyone wants her. So, Because my uh, little feature is on Danny Elfman. That's fucking weird. That, that would have been well good so if we had both done a composer. Yes. Yeah, so also, for anyone I texted you in a week saying, should I give you at least a heads up? And you were like, nah. No, because it would be funny if you if we both went, Danny Elfman, I've done Danny Elfman <laughs> as well. I, I'll admit, it was a last minute uh, divergence from my original plan, which I'm not going to say. I'll save it for another episode in case we do it. And that was because I saw the highlights of the Coachella um, festival that happens and Danny Elfman performed a one hour set. Ooh. And you looked in heaven, weren't you? completely unrecognizable. Still had the signature red hair, but overgrown, long, shirtless. At 62, is he? Ooh. 62, 68, maybe? 68, 68. <laughs> I know it was one or the other. 68 years old, covered in tattoos as well. Every time I've seen pictures of Danny Elfman, he's wearing a suit. And, and nothing wrong about this. I was quite geeky looking with his glasses. And, you know, obviously he's been around and working and famous since the 80s when his collaboration started with Tim Burton. So to see him, you know, as an hour slot with the guitarist from Limp Biscuit playing in his orchestra. That's um, weird. That's yeah. a weird sentence. <laughs> and, see, and so someone's like, uh, so I saw this advert and it was like this post. Danny Elfman rocks Coachella uh, Festival. And I was looking at this picture going, well, where is he then? And didn't realise it's the guy in the centre with his shirt off, head banging at 68, um, covered in these tattoos. I was like, dude, one dude is ripped, good shape, grown his hair long, looks better, but also good on you, man. And he, he went on to say that if he's the first time he felt himself in 30 years. Uh, honestly, my mind has been blown in the last 24 hours. So I quickly diverted to... Daniel Robert Elfman, who was born in Los Angeles, California on the 29th of May, 1953. As I say, 68-year-old singer, songwriter, composer, producer, and world-renowned for his work uh, and evolution from his rock band, so his start-up rock band, um, to performing uh, as a musical legend in the composing field. In a few minutes, I'm going to talk about some of the films that he's composed for. Mm. It's unbelievable. The only thing more unbelievable was the fact that we're 193 episodes in. We've not done a composer episode yet. Um, voice has always been there though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We've always acknowledged the the, the art of composing scores. But uh, to do his work includes the theme song of The Simpsons, the 89 Batman, numerous Tim Burton collaborations, uh, and the Oscar-nominated Good Will Hunting and Men in Black. Hmm. Uh, from, there was a very unimpressed mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, just Man in Black it's not future art is it <laughs> 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 um, from Russian Polish English heritage Elfman is married to screen icon Bridget Fonda um, fuck off yeah is he his father was a writer and a children's book illustrator and his mother was an award winning novelist Jesus. Elfman was born into money yeah, okay, was. so he's start up in a punk rock band. Um, you know, I suppose it's the less traditional route in the fact that he... He sounds up, exactly like the kid from Metal Lords. Yeah, came <laughs> up in a very affluent area. Yeah, there's a theme this week. <laughs> Elvin grew up in the rich part of LA, uh, which is the Baldwin Hills, and was easily recognisable with his bright red hair 
His first musical endeavor was starting a ska band before dropping out of school, moving to France to join a musical theater group with his brother. They then later toured Africa, uh, which introduced Danny Elfman to a world of music, instruments, rhythms, and different styles. There's a film in Danny Elfman's life yeah, about sounds really you know, coming from a really rich and, and affluent background, skipping it all, going across uh, to a different continent, joining a musical theatre group in France that then travels through Africa um, as he learns the tricks, the trades, the music, the styles, the rhythms, and all these different instruments in between. In interviews, uh, he's often mentioned his love for compositions and at a young age wanted to pursue this as a career. I think the more you read about Danny Elfman, or certainly I have this week, this is one of them guys as well that you see in movies that figured it out early. This mm. is what I want to do. You know, I want music is is it. It speaks to me. Naturally gifted, talented, or, or hardworking and willing to put in the hours and the effort and the gamble. But this is what he was put on this planet to do. And I think as someone who's like 35, still not knowing what I want to do in life, yep. that is pretty incredible. You know, that at a young age knew exactly what it was. Back in the US, he enlisted with the California Institute of Art, the Cal Arts and began developing his craft as a composer. This is what I really like about him as well. Went back, didn't re-enlist uh, and enroll in school as much as just turned up to lessons every now and again, took some ideas, went away, developed it, honed his craft, went back, learned a little bit more um, and developed that way. And by 1972, he joined a new musical theatre group and I'm going to butcher this. All day I've been trying to figure out how you pronounce it. It's the Musical Nights of Oingo Boingo. Oh yeah. I I've think that's it. You've said this before. Boingo, boingo. I've, I've got well bad deja vu right now. I'm sure it's, I've heard you see these, say these words before. It's a counter-left political scar music theatre group. I don't think he said that, though. <laughs> that's weird. By 76, he was the leader of the group. And this is what I really like. They slimline the name a little bit to just... Oingo, boingo? <laughs> okay. Oingo, boingo? I don't know. Their music will, um, their music would though go on to be included in movies like Sixteen Candles, Weird Science, and Ghostbusters Two. Oh my God, you had me at Sixteen Candles, mate. So before he became a composer, his music was already being picked up. This is fascinating as well. <coughs> as someone who writes music and has a love for music, one of my goals. If if anyone was like, "What do you want with music?" I'd never want to headline a festival or sell out Wembley or anything like. that. My goal has always been to write a theme tune. For a, for a, uh, now I don't write that. I don't, I don't write. That's not your style. Yeah, I know yeah. I've got friends who do that and it's incredible what they do. And I've got one friend in particular who a lot of his work's been picked up for some like really big trailers and, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, if you write, so for example, if your music's picked up in a movie, so Kevin Swift said about the, when he did the movie Tusk, he wanted Tusk in his soundtrack by Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. 75 grand. Yeah. To use that song. And, he, and most of the time you'd use 20 seconds, 30 seconds of it. You're not going to play the whole damn three minutes of it. No. 75 grand, one-off paycheck. Ugh, royalties, man. Royalties. You want the royalties. <laughs> I want the royalties. No, but then you look at like Bare Naked Ladies, right? In the Big Bang Theory theme. Yeah. You know, or the Rembrandts with um, I'll Be There friends. For You For Friends. You know, the rock bands that kind of sell the music, you know, and now look at, look at Friends is being played everywhere every minute somewhere in the world Friends is on a TV series. it is it's as iconic as the six characters isn't it in that song I'll be there for you I haven't yeah. seen it in like 20 years even I know the theme tune and then Friends were there for each other yes. perfectly fit <clears throat> in 85 Tim Burton signed Danny Elfman to write the score for the film adaptation of Pee Wee's Big Adventure this went down a hit and the two went on to work on Batman Edward Scissorhands, Nightmare Before Christmas Corpse Bride and Alice in Wonderland to name a few I'm just going to say that 
Hans Zimmer did Batman. He did a really good job over across three films. He did a phenomenal job. Batman's theme is still the one from 1989 one. Yeah, that it's is still, that is the Batman theme. It's it's dark. It's the weirdly because they they were fine. Batman was fighting a culture change, you know, because Adam West did proper sixties and camped it up, you know, pow wow. The music sets the tone. Yeah, the and music, that, you, the music's there before you even see Batman. It it sets we're the nearly perfect night, so Frank Miller had started writing as well for Batman, yeah. And, and the yeah, and Tim Burton, I think, in hindsight now looking back, it was the perfect casting to bring him as a as a darker figure with Danny Elfman's score. The two are brilliant. In fact. True or false? No, tell you, James, did he or did he not direct uh, write the score for the following films? Yes or no? Midnight Rum? Yes. Yes, he did. Scrooge? Yes. Dick Tracy? Yes. Darkman? Yes. Black Beauty? Yes. Mission Impossible? Yes. The Frighteners? Yes. Mars Attacks? Yes. Flubber? Yes. Yeah, you get the point. And the list goes on. Goodwill Hunting, Men in Black, Proof of Life, Spy Kids, Spider-Man, The Sam Raimi No, I'm sorry. Proof of Life, right. He owes us an apology. <laughs> Red Dragon, uh, Big Fish, Hulk, the uh, 2003 movie, Charlotte's Web, <laughs> which he did over Spider-Man 3. See, Danny Elfman knew how bad that film was yeah, going to be. He knew. And he chose the movie about a spider's web and a pig. Oh, Nacho Libre, Wanted, Milk, Real Steel, Silver Lining Playbook, American Hustle, Avengers Age of Ultron, The Girl on the Train, Fifty Shades Darker, Justice League, Do Little, Woman in the Window, Doctor Strange coming out next month. These are just some of the films he's worked on. Bloody hell. And the range of that. So Danny Elfman is synonymous with Tim Burton and you think of the the signature style of Danny Elfman's scores, which we're going to talk about in a few moments. But if you look at the more conventional movies, you know, the movie, the, the bigger hits where you wouldn't say that's a particular Danny Elfman score. You know, you think of something like Nightmare Before Christmas, Batman that we've already talked about. I don't know to point out Men in Black. That's a big one because even I'm a dun dun dun. It's kind of like it has plodding, that pacing yeah. feel to it. That, oh, that's really cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. It has a it has a Men in Black has a has a score to it that is, suggests kind of fast walking, not running. Yeah, you know, kind of pushing momentum towards that movie. Actually, it's weird now because now I can see because they spell his name out in the stars. Sorry, I'm blabbering. I do apologize. Karen. And Justice League is an interesting one because in Justice League he snuck in the '89 theme in certain parts, which is wonderful. It's just little motifs and melodies within that score. But Avengers: Age of Ultron, a movie that is instantly forgettable, but still a good score. There's only two decent things about it, and they're both sound, aren't they? It's, this, it's James Spader as Ultron, the voice, and, yeah, and it's the. Four of his movies were nominated for uh, Oscars. So, Good, yeah, Goodwill oh. Hunting, Men in Black, Big Fish, and Milk. He, he got the Oscar nod, but still hasn't had an Oscar. No, that's that's because Pappy Williams is still around. <laughs> well, and also it's because Hans Zimmer winning his second this year probably shows that down the line he'll. This is something I didn't forgot to mention after the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, again, another tragedy out of the Will Swift scenario, completely overshadowing the fact that Samuel Jackson won his Oscar. You see, do you know what's really weird? As I didn't know that. Yeah, so his lifetime uh, achievement didn't award, know that. Went, yeah, and, and it completely overshadowed. No, because the only thing you remember about this one is that Will Smith got 10 years and somehow I still got 10 years in academy <laughs> jail. But I can't think, it's like, oh, I remember this, what was it? Yo, everyone's pulling out of his films, just like Ezra Miller. It was like, yeah, but the thing is people forget about it in a year and Will Smith will be the leading man again because he's yeah. charismatic and you want to sell movies. Um. So uh, saying that uh, Danny Elfman is synonymous with Tim Burton is true. There are, in fact, only two of uh, Tim Burton's movies that Danny Elfman has not done the score for. Can you name one of them? Um, Charlie and Chocolate Factory. No, he did that. And he sang in it. He sang the five songs in that movie. Well, then did bad Danny Elfman. Um, no, you said Big Fish. Um, you said Pee Wee's 
Batman Returns. No, he did Batman Returns. Um, you said it was Scissorhands. Yeah. Uh, Planet the Edward. Planet of the Apes. No, Edward. Oh, Edward. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. You said Planet of the Edward. No, I was, yeah. going, I was going Planet of the Apes. Ed, Edward, and then yeah, I was like, I was he, like I was, I'm trying to remember the theme of Planet of the Apes, but that's such a forgettable film, mate. I genuinely don't know if I've seen it or not. <laughs> I don't know. I remember every night in my nightmares. <laughs> Edward. It was one of them. Sweeney Todd was the other one. Do I need to rewatch Sweeney Todd? I don't feel like I've given that a, a stab. <laughs> <laughs> do you know when you can see the joke coming? <laughs> we'll do you get know, there. Do you know, we'll... it's, do you know it's not going to land? <laughs> If we look at Danny Elfman's style, uh, it's a, in his work, Elfman uses a foundation of traditional strings, brass, woodwinds, but also adds harp, saxophone, piano, bells and chimes, and a frequent use of women's choir. Danny Elfman uses bells and chimes to add notes of magic, whilst he uses the female choir for spooky and mysterious aesthetics. The mastery in Elfman's work is not necessarily his choice of instrument, which is quite formulaic when you figure that baseline of what he uses. But his, majest- his, his uh, mastery is in the overall production. Each instrument can be heard. It's distinct. When instruments um, are blended, they become muddled. So the great anatomy, uh, so the great metaphor for this is if you use color. So if you use, uh, you know, like a um, blue and yellow, you'll get a green. Great. You can create something. But if you put too many colors in it, you'll eventually get brown. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. So yeah, with music, with scores, too much can be overwhelming, muddle and uh, dampen the sounds. Dan Elfman is all about clarity. That can be shown when he uses melody and signature hooks. You look at the Simpsons theme, for example. They are instruments that give and take. They come to the forefront, then they settle back and allow the next instrument to come into play. So oh, I'm going to really compliment you here. I really love how you see the world sometimes. I je- I'm jealous because I don't have a musical background. You mentioned all that, mate. I'm just here listening to you. That's such a compliment, James. Thank you so much. Um, so yeah, he's uh, gone on to discuss his working relationship with directors, stating that his job is to emote uh, emotion, uh, sorry, emit emotion of a particular character, scene, movie. He takes his work, from what I can tell, from websites and from articles and from quotes, he takes his work very seriously, listening to directors, going back, changing uh, the scores, going back. He's quite meticulous. He's quite guided by directors with vision. And I think that's why... He's one of the people that does work hand in hand with people like Tim Burton, who Tim Burton, obviously famous for man walks through door. That'll do. You don't need to do it 50 times. Let's move on to the next scene. He knows what he wants. He goes after it. Do you think working with a director like um, Tim Burton, who's, who's like that, you know, we've hit it the first time. I don't need to watch it 20 times. And the, and especially his art style allows a composer to have much more fun because it's like, so Composing is always fascinating to me because it's two stages, isn't it? They do it first based on the idea, and then most when it's done is the film's playing, and they play, and then then they play it, and then they create the music based on what's happening. So I imagine that like the sets that he combines and like the imagery of Tim Burton, he is unique. You can't Mm. say it's not. Can you imagine the fun you'd have as composer going? This is what we see on the screen. I can do whatever the flip I want. Yeah. How much do you think that helps like develop a style? And I also think what fascinates me is someone who plays primarily one instrument and can branch out maybe to two or three, but mainly one. Mm. The idea of orchestrating so many instruments and so many people, you know, and, and having that huge sound, you know, anyone who's been in front of an orchestra or heard one rehearse or play, it is a full experience. You know, it kind of tickles every part of the year when you listen to a full big band with brass, woods, you know, piano, strings, whatever it may be. Um, to be able to see that, hear it, put it on paper, transcribe it, and then orchestrate it and conduct an orchestra to play it, I think is is a truly 
I, I cannot fathom how people do it. You know, with things like acting, you can kind of think, well, am I, you know, even though I'm not an actor, I think, you know, it's like Ian McKellen said, I'm not a wizard. Then someone says action. Now pretend I'm a wizard. <laughs> Job's done. I go away and live in my mansion. But orchestra, I would say if someone was like, right, you need about to score for this. I'd be like, oh shit. <laughs> I could do one instrument. I don't know how to layer it with that much. It's a, it's an art that is also one that I don't want to know too much about. I don't think you can. I don't think it's something that anyone just falls into. I think, you know, the, the idea of being musically gifted is true. I think some people envision and see music in colour or see music you know, quite literally and are able to transcribe it, you know, into scenes, into scores, into music as they the, the need to. So it's a, it's a, it's a magic, it, it's magic, James is what oh, I'm trying to say. And nice. I think Danny Elfman is up there with some of the best. And at 68, and certainly at the moment as well, where, you know, Billie Eilish, she's kind of taking the headlines for Coachella, uh, for the Coachella Festival and Harry Styles and all this kind of stuff. There's Danny Elfman at 68, who's given more to cinema than most could ever dream of, who is yet to win his Oscar, who came off stage, said he went through every emotion in an hour. So in an hour of being on stage, he went through everything. He went through ecstatic happiness, um, anxiety that he was going to be hated. You know, um, every feeling on a spectrum, he said he experienced in one hour of his life that took three decades or the last three decades for him to build up to be able to do. And I think the idea as well about going on stage shirtless and be like this is fucking me at 68 well done Danny Elfman that's fucking brilliant Danny Elfman Danny Elfman and I think we talked about some other uh, composers that you know off the top they talked about Hans Zimmer he talked about John Williams obviously Max Richter I think also is a is a brilliant uh, composer as well that's been in some great movies so I think at some point it does warrant us doing more uh, special features on composers and the music behind cinema because if you take it out and surely young audiences, if someone, anyone's listening to this, the power of music, if you don't know it, think about if you ever put on a TikTok video, how boring it is until you put music on over the top of it. You know, how if you put some big, you know, a cinematic superhero score over someone flipping a waffle, it looks so much more impressive because of the music. The music does have that impact. Absence of music is also a great tool in music. Um it is, sorry, it's also a great tool in, uh, in in film as well. So, yeah, see, there's one of the best scenes is um, for that is Godfather, isn't it? Mm. When he's about to shoot, the tension builds, but the tension isn't music. You expect the score to kick in because it's a phenomenal score, but it's actually the brakes on the elevated train mm. that causes the tension. And that that goes to my other uh, unsung heroes is music folliers or sound production folliers. So those that put in sound effects in post. And actually, if there's any job in, in cinema that I'd want to do, that is it. So if you ever see these, it's great. So if you see a scene in a bar, you know, two actors talking in a bar, and in this room you've got people dancing, people putting money in a jukebox, you've got people playing pool, someone walking in with a backpack or a rustly bag. You know, mm. you're in France. There's a baguette sticking out Obviously. of it. Um, you know, someone pouring a drink and you can hear the glugging of the wine bottle as they're doing it. All that is put in post. Yeah. There is a silent room with a boomstick just above the two actors so that you could pick up their dialogue. Because if you had all that sound, you'll really be able to hear it. Hey? <laughs> so everything in that room is fake. So the pool balls that are clanging are made of, you know, soft rubber. Mm. So they don't make any noise. You know, the bag is made of canvas so it doesn't rustle like plastic or paper. Someone has to put all that in in post and find the right rustling sounds and the right clanging sound of pool balls. And I thought, that's a fucking awesome job. You just have a huge warehouse with microphones and a hundred pairs of shoes to find the right one as you're syncing up to Anne Hathaway approaching an elevator. 
you know, or the, the ping of the elevator when it comes onto the floor. That's all point and post. You have to find the right ping to that elevator. Could you look so happy right now? <laughs> but that, that to me is a playground to piss about with and to throw little things in and just to experiment. And, you know, in, that's where we talked about movies like Halloween where obviously Michael Myers isn't stabbing someone. So they're stabbing a watermelon mm. and the sound of the, the knife going in a human body is actually a watermelon. And that's, to me, that's great. That's fun. You can imagine going into the office, you're like, yeah, someone gets their head crushed and I need to figure out how to make that sound because believe it or not, we don't have that sound on file. <laughs> or do we? Mm, you rustle some McCoys, mate. <laughs> that's how you do it. That's the sound. So yeah, sounds. So wildly different 45, wildly different. But that was the point of a Grindhouse episode is two very, very contrasting uh, themes to, for us to talk about. My original one was going to be like a, the four heads of, if you had to pick four heads of... Um, Hollywood, like um, Mount Rushmore. That's, but I found it very difficult because I was trying to. I couldn't get a limit to four. I do like that though. Yeah. So maybe, maybe future. That's the one that I. That's the one it was up until like four days ago. <laughs> that's what I was going for. Or if, if historic landmarks were actors, who would, what they what would <laughs> oh, they be? Oh, 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 I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot more than I think I should. <laughs> Big Ben, <laughs> Billy Jones. <laughs> yeah, see that. Yeah. Um. So. You you spoke with a lot of passion about Danny Hoffman. Mm. I spoke passionately about selling you houses in Gotham. Yeah. There's only really one place for this episode to go now, and that's down. Straight to hell. <laughs> we have two dark movies to end with, two horror thrillers that are available, one on Netflix, one on Sky Cinema. Are we going to do Choose or Die first? Should we, should we do Choose or Die first? So I didn't know you'd watch this. I... Again, James, so in sync. You and I both watched this film this week. Why did you watch it, James? Oh, because it said it was 87, 84 minutes long on Netflix. And, mate, let me tell you something. It's even less. <laughs> exactly the same. I had two movies to choose from. This was way shorter. I thought, boom, I'm going to watch uh, Choose or Die. And also, that title just made me laugh so much because in a world now where you get throwaway horror movies coming out left, right and centre, um, Netflix kind of being the home for the majority of them, you know, ready or not the hunt, all these kind of movies that start coming out. Choose or die was just the next on a long list of straight to DVD thriller horror. But then, do you know, the second thing that pulled me in, what was it? Was it, was it old, uh, I've got Eddie Marzan. Eddie Marzan. That's yeah. It. Yeah. I was like, what's he doing in this little, this little ditty of a movie? What is he? No, seriously, genuinely, even at the end, what is he doing in this movie? <laughs> You know, um, you know what this film's really about. This film's about Kayla, a down on a look student, mate. She comes across an old computer game. So we're talking very old, early eighties, eight bit, eight bit. It's still a tape, technically. It's not even got its microchip in there. And she gets a phone call. She's playing for a prize, mate, money prize, and she needs that because her family's in the dumps. Her mum's being, um, and herself are being. There's a predator on the loose, like basically preying on their lowly situation. Like, I can make it best for you. I can make it good for you. So she should take any out, mate. But then maybe when she starts playing it, she realizes that this game can like affect everything around her. Reality. Affect, affect reality in a way that shouldn't be right. In a scene that I'd like to point out, when you realize it, is I found was actually quite well. Um, she gets together with her friend, who's played by Sex Education's. Um, I said Asher Butterfield, who I genuinely think might be 
the next James Bond at this rate. He's so lovably affable. Mm. <laughs> There's no roles that he can't do. Enter famous terror director who calls him up and starts the game is the lucid, bones, uh, lucid tones of Robert Englund, who literally only exists now to appear in these sort of films as a bit of a cameo because obviously he was Freddy Krueger and they've remade the Freddy Kruegers now without him. So fuck you, he does these films. <laughs> what happens now is a choice where she goes through different... different um, checks and balances to try and survive or help the people that she loves through different situations, choosing or dying, leading to one of the most baffling endings I've ever seen in a film. And uh, I haven't there mentioned Eddie Marsden, who appears at the beginning. He's one of the first players to play the game. And let's just say he shows up later in a scene I could describe to you, but wouldn't even know where to begin. <laughs> like, it's very odd that ending. It's very odd. Right, so what what works in this? What works for this film? Before I start, you know, I, I said it. Start. Yeah, I'm going to try positives. Video game horror films don't make sense. Whenever they try to, it doesn't mm. make sense because there's always a, there's always a gap. People in Hollywood don't understand why we like video games. We like the choice. We like the narratives. They think we like bang bang explosions. The perfect example of that is the Resident Evil. We like the characters. We don't like the fact it's just one character that we don't know killing zombies with no repercussions. We like knowing what Jill Valentine does. We know what, that's what we like. So there's always this disconnect when we try to turn these into films. One of the most successful ones was Silent Hill because it understood. Well, this one actually takes the element of a video game and it works because it takes the heyday of the 80s, not recent one. And there's a great generational thing as well when the older characters are talking to the new ones, especially a very good line, which I love, where, without any spoilers, fuck the 80s. And then the guy goes, men are like, fuck the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> you can't say that about the 80s. It actually does a good enough job to make a video game scary when it's simple text choice, you know, one of the most basic computer programs you can have. What? And there is a scene when you first realise the power, the coffee or cake scene, when the waitress, I genuinely was a bit, I'd never really seen that element of horror, like this kind of what is going on. It was a bit eerie. However, after doing a fairly good job for 25 minutes, it falls off a cliff with some very bad choices. Yeah, the, I, I thought going into this, it was it started pretty strong. I mean, I, you could take away the the um, the setup scene yes. with uh, Eddie Marzan, but these kind of movies need a you need, something gory yeah. to hook you in and, and, and get you going. The the start of this movie where you realise Kayla is the provider for her mum, who we haven't talked about, is Angela the Griffin from Coronation Street. Um, I'll tell you what for it. It is. <laughs> and uh, and um, the, so the movie starts with this quite interesting character, her best friend, computer programmer. You know, they are at the bottom of the pile. They've got big dreams about making it. There's two characters in there that I thought, okay, these are pretty interesting. And, then and the, realistic. Because yeah. it's not like ultra nerds or something. No, you're all nerds of doing something really weird with code that <laughs> you find out later. But, you know. but this, the, you know, then when they go in the horror game, I, I like the aesthetics, like you say, of Cursor, the game, mm. this 8-bit game, where it's very simple. It's role plays, Dungeons and Dragons style. You know, you're in a tavern, which is, a, a, you know, a, co a coffee shop or, a, or an all-night diner. Um, you know, and it's very simple. Coffee, cake is the first option. You choose one, it gets a bit harder. And then, you know, to the point where normally the last question on the level, someone's going to get hurt from. Mm. And you have to often choose, is it? And if you don't, you walk away, if you stop the game or anything like that, a noise emits that causes you to blow up. I don't know, but something you don't really ever see what happens, but yeah, if you don't that's... choose something, you have, you die. That's the yeah. point of the game. 
So it's like a choose your own adventure, but the characters in it, some of the characters don't know, don't have no choice that they're playing because yeah. of how the game has been made. And it is, it is quite a nice, tightly wrapped movie in its one hour 20 kind of runtime. I'm jumping ahead, but at the end, there are some things that wrap up quite nicely. Her job is linked to the game. You know, those mm. kind of things that she, she didn't see it at the beginning. It has a way of kind of containing itself in the film. But that's not without saying that after the first half hour, it gets super shit. It, it's, yeah. it's pretty bad. The ending is worth a watch. I can only describe it to you as a scene where someone walks in and a character genuinely asks, what are you doing here? And the character doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> and you as an audience member, you also no. don't know, which was my famous fourth wall break. My, one of my favorite fourth wall breaks is not. So we've only walked in and goes, what are you doing here? And she goes, because I was told to come here. And me as an audience member was thinking, yeah, me too. <laughs> Why am I here? Never explained. My favorite wall break, fourth wall break is in uh, The Dead Don't Die. When Adam Driver says to Bill Murray, why did you say that? And Bill Murray replies, because it's in the script. And then Adam Driver goes, oh, and then they continue. <laughs> oh, uh, Yeah, so gory in elements as well. There are really uncomfortable bits. Um, the reasoning why as well it's happening is... <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I was trying to come up with a really clever way of saying, hopefully explain it. It's different. Yeah, so horror, horror doesn't always need a motive, it does doesn't. it? It doesn't. It just needs a creepy idea which is going to inflict terror on someone and you as an audience member. You know, they're not all going to be Hellraiser that is like wrapped in, mm. you, you, you know, know, mythos and subliminal stuff like context and whatever Some, it is. Sometimes evil's just evil. Yeah. But, but, but sometimes you don't even need a story. It's better had I not found out about the game Curse, which is the game, which I think you mentioned, which I didn't. Um, it's, there's some choices in there that make no sense. But do you know what? I'm going to say this, and I never thought I'd say this. For an 84-minute runtime, actually watch it. If you can handle the gore, because it's something different. And we scream about that all the time on the podcast. Yeah. You know, if someone tries to take a shot, it's a directorial <laughs> debut as well. It's the first film um, that Tony Toby Meekins has ever directed. And do you know what? I thought it was actually a good... It was a good try, you didn't. You, it's you not didn't, a bad movie. You didn't it's win just, the game, yeah. but you was a good try, and it was really nice to see because it's a Netflix exclusive. It's good to see the Netflix. You know, when I was starting to give first-time directors a bit of a shot. Yeah, this is you got to champion that, haven't you? Because you know you, you're not going to get Godfather on the first movie. Exactly. So do you know what? I thought it was okay, and, and I did like Enola Evans as a first main feature. I thought she was very good. Yeah, at. she was in the 100. Oh, she. Yeah, I never saw that. The the, um, the thing I my gripe with horror, I, and I am. I went from loving horror to being put off and now kind of coming back to it. Um, the thing I, the, the, where I lose it with horror is like, you know, by Nightmare on Elm Street 3, when you've got to know the backstory, the mm. motive, and then when they remake it, you've got to know that in the first movie. You've got to know exactly why that killer is doing what they're doing. Yeah. No one ever asked for wh why a video game was invented. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And the movie takes this far off the brakes to show you someone inventing the game, which is which you need to... You need to know for the end scene, yeah. kind of. But I could have done without their introducing a villain in the last act of the movie. And to do that, they have to show you two people or one person primarily inventing a video game. But there is an absolutely brilliant bit here where towards the end, about 70 minutes in, uh, words start flickering across the screen. And I thought it was the credits. And I thought the film was... <laughs> I jammed up and I was like, oh, it's done. <laughs> oh, it's done. It can't hurt me no more. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's it, you know what it was a good movie. I mean, we I've watched on this on the show we've we've 
we've kind of looked at first time directors and horror and stuff like that. And some are hit, some are miss. This is this is this does walk the line between the two. There's enough good in there to make the one hour twenty investment. Oh, so mate, heaven. Yeah, uh, but the, but it's not. It's not. It's, um, you're not going to come back and witness the next chapter in horror. You are going to watch a first time director have a crack at something slightly different, and there's enough in there to enjoy yourself for an hour. Would you rewatch this or reminiscence? My worry is that I will sometime in the future remember reminiscence, <laughs> so I would definitely rewatch this. Yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're in the final act of our episode, and that is one more film to talk about. Um, so I'm going to talk about a movie that uh, I was on my radar, and then it disappeared, and now it's reappeared on now TV Sky Cinema. And I was like, "There's that movie that I wanted to watch when it came out, Antlers from 2021, directed Ooh. by Scott Cooper, another first time director, well, first time horror director, uh, horror drama thriller director. Stars Kerry Russell, Jesse Plemons." And Jeremy that, T. Thomas. That little bugger, Jesse. I know, Jesse Plymouth's we champion on this podcast. Um, it centers around a small uh, Oregon town, a middle school teacher and her sheriff brother who become tangled up in a nightmare when a young outcast student uncovers a dark secret leading to an ancestral creature. Mm. Artwork on this, very dark. It's a young boy looking, looks like he's wrapped in fawns, but it's actually antlers. Uh, you know, Antlers written in red and underneath it, executive producer, Guelmero Del Toro. There he is. Uh, it's creepy, dark, unnerving. It's a folklore horror um, from Scott Cooper and Guelmero Del Toro. A uh, hundred minutes, Antlers is a moody, slow burn horror that flickers between atmospheric tension and freakish, gory monsters. Ooh. Particularly by the end of the movie. By the end of the movie, it does get somewhat gory, horror the tension goes Based. up and up. The killers, the kills get more and more. But what I love about this film and my real take home about this film is it is a slow burner. It's not, you know, whip the guns out early on and start shooting it. It's not aliens. It's mm. alien. Ooh. So it's all about it's getting a, it's, us... It's not antlers, it's antler. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's all about getting to that end fight or that end sequence, that end message. Um, the reveal, you know, a lot of it is done in shadow. A lot of it is camera play. A lot of it is... Is this actually happening or is it something that's going on in a particular character's head? Of which I should say, it's underpinned by some really strong performances from the main cast. Um, particularly Jeremy T. Thomas, who's this young boy and he's damaged. He's plays this kid called Lucas, who's victim to a meth addict father, um, who his father and his younger brother both become victims of this ancient cursed disease. And Lucas has to continue to try and love and look after and feed them despite knowing that they are deteriorating. They're literally rotting. Um, and he's keeping them secret. He starts to learn how to hunt wild animals and take, uh, you know, bodies and stuff to him to feed them, to keep them alive. Um, knowing that they are turning into something sinister. The film that this, the, the theme of this film is about dealing with childhood trauma. So, the, you know, that is all a metaphor for, you know, the the horribleness that's happening. It's all about um, that kid, that kid who's witnessed, seen, or is victim to something that he shouldn't be victim to at that age and how it changes and develops that. And that is overshadowed by the two main characters, Carrie Russell and Jesse Plymouth's brother and sister, who, as kids, witnessed, saw something. And so it has that nice way of wrapping the movie around that they have to save the day because of something they are victim of. It's a really, really good movie. What I think what I think what I liked most about it was the, the it was the pacing of it. The the point of it being slow paced like this 
is that you can then let your characters have meaningful conversation in a horror movie, which again is something that's quite lost. It's something that I love in some of my favourite horror movies. Um, and, and if you look at some of the ones over the last few years, you know, the Ari Aster stuff, I know we, we talk about Hereditary, <laughs> but also Midsummer. you know, the, even the Robert Eggers stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, slow pacing horrors like that enable your characters to have meaningful conversations instead of two pretty people around a campfire that are, just, that are just fodder for, yeah. for the, you know, it means more than if something happens to those people because you get invested in them gives you longer to understand more about their motives. I, I thought Antlers was a really, really good movie. Don't get me wrong. Very similar to um, most of the movies we've talked about today, Metal Lords in particular, it's not going to tick everyone's boxes. You're not going to go into this and think, um, you know, it's Del Toro's work. You know, it's not, he's not got Doug Jones in it for a start. Bullshit. Um, get rid but of it. it does have that, by the end, that pretty grotesque body morphing, horror elements that is genuinely terrifying you know when you see something that looks half human but you know it isn't and is acting in a way that could be human but also very animalistic um makes for a very very unsettling that movie annihilation with natalie portman the most terrifying part of that movie was the bare human thing mm. when it's stalking her when they're in that house that that seems scoop, like scared the shit out of me and this is no uh not too dissimilar by the end when the creature is in its full state there is a rather horrific scene where it's still wearing the skin of the face of the victim. Oh. And, st- and it, so it has those gore elements that I think some people would be like, yeah, that's more metal than Metal Lords. <laughs> but at the same time, the film's not about that. The film yeah. is about this central character and particularly then the last act of the movie and what has to happen. I thought it was really good. I thought for a first time horror thriller director in Scott Cooper, this, this really was a home run. Whereas Choose or Die may not have been, this mm. definitely is. Mate, God cast though. So it's funny you should, you've mentioned two names there in a point that I was wanted to bring up for a future episode is obviously this podcast celebrates three people more than anyone. It's probably Mahershala Ali, yeah, Mark Shannon, Mark Shannon, and Amy Adams. Like yeah. probably in that order as well. Amy Adams is like top there. I reckon we are going to soon have to consider Doug Jones, yeah, yeah. and definitely Jesse Jesse Plemons, yeah, Jesse yeah. Plemons, because Jesse Plemons could do like a shit. He could do a film called Dog Shit where he goes around and eats dog shit. Yeah. And it would probably be the greatest film of all time. That man has been on hot five for the last 10 years, probably, if you think about it. Yeah, I, I think, um, so I, I think, going to Doug Jones, this is again why I hate the Oscars and all them seasons, because no, they'll no, never no. credit him. No. He may get a Lifetime Achievement style awards, but I would argue him in Shape of Water as the as the sea creature, you know, versus Kevin Costner with his gills. <laughs> Which one are you going to believe more can go underwater? But no, do you know what I mean? Like he- No, I get it. He manifests himself and- and he, and he doesn't, he, right, so he doesn't, because he's wearing so many prosthetics, his body has to tell you the story. He can't mm. do the facial expressions. It's his body. And do you know what? I'm going to say this as well. The Shape of Water is Shape of Water, isn't it? Mm. I always, This is a film that I always forget how great it is until I'm watching it. Oh, yeah. And then when I'm watching it, I'm like, why is this not one of the best films of all time? Uh, and it is. It's a brilliant And it's movie. Just, it's really yeah. weird. And I just think, I just you mentioned in Doug, got a lot of Doug Jones in there. I was just thinking, Doug Jones, is, Doug Jones was so good that David Hyde Pierce removed his name from yeah. the film and was ashamed that he had used his voice. He was like, I'm sorry. And that's, you are so good. Someone did an honourable thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and of course, on top of that, Jesse Plymouth, who you're right. I think the more I see the guy, it just, he, he is that exception to the rule. Bad movie, great acting. Mm. Um, but, but you think of, the thing of thing that, you know, that he steals scenes with Johnny Depp in Black Mass. He steals scenes in The Departed with some of the most legendary actors in it. Well, he, so my favourite thing about it, he, The Irishman, 
in a film where holds all of like arguably a generation's greatest actors in it, the framing device they use is Jesse Plymouth. He's yeah. the narrator. He tells you a story. When you've got Al Pacino and Robert De Niro sharing screen time, the story is Jesse Plymouth telling you. Yeah. It. It's just like fucking balls. And Breaking man. Bad, you look at the villains in that. You go from two code of Gus. Mm. So you go from psychopath, sociopath to whatever Jesse Plymouth's character is at the end of that. But he's quite clearly the most terrifying out of all of them because he's a killer with the mind of a child mm. who doesn't understand consequence. We'll just shoot someone and then talk to the person. Like this. Like, Why it, I don't that? know what, yeah. yeah. I, I, it, it, just terrifying performance in that. Certainly was the best thing in Fargo season two. I, oh, and I did, love season Fargo yeah, too. I, yeah. Season Fargo too. <laughs> Obviously we talked about Power of the Dog recently. The yeah, guy I is can... just fire. Yeah, so um, there's probably an episode coming on them in the future because I reckon those five now are gold, yeah. god tier. Don't get me wrong, he probably has got a death note in there somewhere. Everyone's, got, pro- a yeah, note, everyone's got a death note. There's going to be an Achilles heel in his filmography. But was he in Cats? <laughs> he wasn't in Cats, James. Yeah, right. But if he did, do you know what? He would have done the honourable thing and had an arsehole. <laughs> right? I genuinely think he would go afterwards, he would have shot himself. <laughs> Um, that is our show for this week, ladies and gentlemen. That is our um, first of what will likely be many uh, episodes, Groundhouse style episodes, where we bring two completely unrelated themes and topics and mash them up in some weird hybrid along with uh, some juicy film chatter. Any closing remarks, James? No, it's been fun and emotional. And watching you talk passionately about Danny Elfman has remembered that I remember the start of this series. I was never a big Danny Elfman fan. But that's only because I associated his work with Tim Burton and I didn't realise, and you've opened my eyes to the mountain of films that he's actually done. Mm. And so for that, Danny Hoffman, because I know you're listening, oh, I, I, I apologise. And I imagine the residuals on that Simpsons check just keep cashing in. Yes. Um, which he also played at Coachella Festival. Obviously. With, with the Batman 89 food. Can you imagine being off your face at a festival? Danny Hoffman jumps on stage and they play the 89 Batman theme. There's only one thing that could have topped that. Battle of the Bands. John Williams on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> the song's about me. Getting a bit of Indiana Jones, mate, mashed up with the Batman oh, theme, the mate. Star Wars. And then out of nowhere, you get, I don't know, Hans Zimmer. <laughs> Just... The only problem is, John Williams has been doing it for so long and so consistently, he is literally a god. Yeah. <laughs> like, I reckon he picks who wins Oscars. Mm. Anyway, sorry. But he's, he's one of the people that I just always, I there's videos of him, like kids outside his house playing like the Imperial March. And then he comes out and he's like, yeah, really good. And he just seems like a nice guy. And um, Francis Ford Coppola is one of them as well, isn't it? Where I, I, Who was I reading recently went to meet him and thought there was going to be like an entourage and everything. And, and it was just him. And he opened the door. He's like, yeah, do you want coffee? And he's like, fucking hell, you're like one of the best directors of all time. <laughs> yes, I'd love and a coffee. so down to earth. Yes, make me a cappuccino. <laughs> Bitch. That's our show for this week. If you liked it, don't forget to like, subscribe, leave us a review. New episode comes out each and every week. So if you subscribe, it'll be on your inbox bright and early on a Monday morning for you to digest at your ears' pleasure. This has been our show. If you don't see you later, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Goodbye.